0: the inside scoops to win your fantasy football draft most importantly crush your friends all delivered by this man who has been on the road for the entire last month i don't know seven eight nine training camps and he always always delivers us the inside information whether we ask for it or not we do it's charles robinson of yahoo sports and you pod to win the game see rob how you doing buddy i'm doing well brother how you doing i'm doing great As I said before, I hit go. Uh, We might get some insane news during this show. So you have to bounce, check your phone. I totally understand. The people understand too. But let's start there with the news that is inevitable. Um, Really, by the time that people even watch this, the ruling or settlement of Deshaun Watson might have already happened. Uh, You've covered these aspects of football for a really, really long time. Uh, This might be a different way of asking this question. But has this entire process gone differently for the Browns than the Browns expected it to? Yeah,
1: no, I don't think so. I don't, I mean, I think they knew that. Um, I think the only aspect of it that maybe they were slightly unprepared for was the league's push for the one year um, indefinite suspension. You know, I think they knew it would be a significant expect, suspension. Um, I think in their minds, they thought that, it, that the fighting would not get to this point to limit it inside of one year. And um, I think the contract was laid out the way that it was with the 1.035 base salary in 2022 with the idea that he's going to miss some multiple games, quite a few games in 2022. But there was not, I think, initially this worry that the contract would toll that, that, hey, he's going to be suspended for a full calendar year. The contract tolls and doesn't even begin until 2023. Um, which in the long run might not necessarily be the worst thing for the Browns. Um, but for De- Deshaun Watson, it would absolutely be a disaster. Um, so I, I just think it, it's, they knew it was going to be a significant number of games. I think even if it comes down to, let's say the settlement arrives at, at 12 games, um, I don't think they'd be, that, that would be on the high end, maybe of what yeah. they expected. But um, certainly not a number that just blows, blows them away.
0: The reason I asked that is after the push, for a longer suspension or the inevitability of that. There's been a lot of mentions of other quarterbacks potentially getting in the fold of Jacoby Brissett. And so I thought that maybe if it was 10 plus 12 plus 17 games entirely, that does Jacoby Brissett give them enough confidence to run the offense and keep them competitive how they want to, because this is a window for them to win right now.
1: Right. Um, It's definitely, uh, it's interesting because I think that 12 is, is, really a weird spot for them because I think they felt like if it's eight, okay, we've got Jacoby, we'll prepare him, we'll roll. And, and hopefully we'll be able to get Deshaun Watson back for nine games. Um, now it's 12. That's, you know, I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot eight to 12, but it, it, it's a pretty significant um, number of games there that, that they would be leaning on Jacoby Brissett to win. Now a lot of people bring up Jimmy Garoppolo and, um, doesn't Jimmy make sense here? I, I personally think for what Kevin Stefanski does and what Jimmy is, um, I do think he would be an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. I don't know that it would be, you know, a, a massive, huge upgrade um, at this point. It, it might be, it, m- it may not be, particularly considering that Jacoby's been in the system this offseason. He had the offseason passing program, knows the offense now. And when I went through camp there, I was told by multiple people inside the franchise, Hey, don't just assume that it's going to be Jacoby throwing the ball 15 times a game and us running it 40 times a game and and just trying to win by running the football and playing defense. They feel like Jacoby can throw the football. It's just being able to manage the offense around him, um, you know, utilize the tight ends that they have there that they expect really big things out of obviously um, this year. And, you know, Yes, run the football. Maybe not operate so much out of shotgun. He's going to be an under the center kind of guy, uh, far more than Deshaun Watson would be. Um, but I, I could see Brissette if they end up leaning on him for say a twelve game um, slate, being a you know twenty five, maybe even a thirty pass attempt guy um, inside that offense, depending how the flow of games go now if Jimmy Garoppolo is free <laughs> if he doesn't which is, call which is an outcome potentially here potentially absolutely if he is free he doesn't cost them assets beyond um a fina- you know money a financial commitment okay then I think that the Browns look at potentially that being a, a route that they could take I just don't think they want to give up assets and money which is yeah. at least right now with the 49ers I'm trying to think they can get the way that they've talked
0: about David Njoku as well, being a full-time player, yeah. uh, it's really, really telling to me how they really plan to incorporate him. Final question. Uh, I think that a lot of the assumption is as soon as Deshaun Watson hits the field, he's back to the old Deshaun Watson in terms of just his mm-hmm. playing style. Uh, and we haven't seen him you know, since the 2020 season. Even that first series, it's preseason. Did not mm-hmm. go swimmingly well. Mm-hmm. Behind the scenes, have you heard anything about if they are
1: happy with how he's looked after you know not playing football for a year? I, th- I think it's fine. You know, like he, I, I'll, when I was out at practice, the day I was at practice, he was up and down. Okay. It wasn't like the, it wasn't absolute consistency. Um, I do think that they know, and it is realistic that there's going to be um, a little bit of, of rust that has to get knocked off. I mean, this is a guy that has not played competitive football now in ages. And um, by the time he comes back, I mean, I, I don't even know how months, how many months that would be at that point that he had. I mean, 23 months, I want to say. Yeah. I mean, if he yeah. – yeah, I mean, that's that's insane. And, um, by the way, he wasn't a finished product in Houston yet. He was very good, and he clearly um, – his last full season in Houston, I mean, arguably was his best, um, but he, you know, still was an up-and-down player at times and um, could at times be a function of of some of the players around him. I think he's a spectacular player, but – the idea that he's just going to step in and be a pro bowl, all pro level player um, from game, you know, 13 on or whatever it is, um, is probably a little unrealistic. So I, I think they know it's going to be an adjustment period there. I'll put it that way.
0: I know you spent the entire summer talking about the Browns. So this is my final question <laughs> I'm Sorry. Um, for an Andrew Barry led team. They certainly have a lot invested in the running back position. There was yep. that weird 48 hour window with Kareem Hunt having a hold-in and then them being like, no man, (laughs) and then him going right back to practice. Do you expect them to hold on to all the running backs that they have right now with, again, the Deshaun Watson situation, at least for beyond the six games, really uncertain?
1: Yeah, I think that's the plan. I don't think there's any question. Um, You know, Hunt, from my understanding (laughs) – It was weird. The outside looking yeah. at it was pretty hilarious. It was weird. It was the softest hold in that I've I've seen ever in history. Now I get it. The idea here is a Nick Chubb has been paid, right? Deshaun Watson is going to get paid. He's in the, you know, he's obviously got the 5-year guaranteed
0: deal. Drafting Jerome Ford signing Dearners Johnson to a not large deal but you
1: know, multi million dollars or 1.5. You committed some you committed finances there. Yes. Yeah. And and I think that the writing is on the wall that it's eventually there's going to have to be some sacrifices made here. Okay. Cause they're going to be other guys to extend um, Amari Cooper. If this works out, well, is going to be a player. You're going to have to extend. They still want to invest finances in the wide receiver position. Um, you know, they have uh, obviously a second tight end. They're not named David and Joku and Bryant that they would like to extend someday. Um And what's the most replaceable position in football, albeit Cream Hunt extremely um, talented guy, they're not going to look at paying him the way that Cream Hunt would probably get paid if he were on the free agent market, would still get a pretty decent deal. I don't know that they want to invest that kind of finance into two running backs. Um, So I think the thought process there is like, hey, is there a chance to sort of get something done right now? And, And, you know, do I take the shot now? And, you know, the Browns, what was relayed to me, it was very clear. We're not dealing you and we're, you know, it's, it is what it is right now. And your money is is going to come, but it's going to come down the line. You mentioned monetary assets to the wide
0: receiver position. We saw a veteran Julio Jones sign with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. There was one man, one veteran wide receiver who uh, is the boogeyman. Apparently like no one even wants to talk about him. And that's Will Fuller.
1: What yeah. the hell has happened to Will Fuller, Charles Robinson? Well, look at his career. I mean, um, injuries do not help, okay? Um, I will say that there is a question about, like like Will's, I, I think, at least from teams on the outside looking in, like his speed, you know, gives him he is a deep field kind of player when he's at his best. I don't know that teams necessarily feel like he can still be that player at this point. I think people think that injuries have taken their toll on him. Um, Obviously there have been, you know, issues with suspension. Um, I I just, I don't think he's what you would consider a clean signing. Um, And it's, and frankly, it's not good. Particularly when you look at, you know, Houston has zero interest in bringing him back in any way, shape, or form. Miami, zero interest in bringing him back in any way, shape, or form. A number of wide receiver needing teams have not looked at him at this stage. And so, um, what's been relayed to me is it's it's some of it is physical. Just the thought process that physically um, he does not look like a player that that can hold up and has really lost a little bit in. And I think you got to kind of go back here. If you want to find the best Will Fuller, okay. You have to go back a little bit to find that player. And the further he gets from that, the, the less appetizing he appears to be.
0: It's also something that at least from my seat, if uh, Deshaun Watson doesn't advocate for someone like Will Fuller, I'm not yeah. saying he is or he isn't, then what does that say?
1: Well, and and oh, and Josh, they need, okay. by the way, they, that wide receiver core, you know, it needs, it can still use depth. It can still use pieces there. And um, yeah, it's not been something that they have looked at
0: actually. Okay. Let's go from Cleveland over to uh, Philadelphia. You spent time with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. Really simple question here from the top down, who do the Philadelphia Eagles want to be? And I asked this because weeks one through seven last year, nearly 35 passing attempts. Mm-hmm. They started two and five the next seven full games after that. Just twenty five passing attempts. They finished the season five and two. So many people in fantasy football just viewing this organization says, "Well, they won games by passing less, running more." Right? Isn't that who they are just going to again gravitate to in twenty twenty two? But then you have the AJ Brown yep. trade plus. I heard it all combined, so I know you did. Top down organizationally, Jeffrey Lurie all, all the way down. Yep, they want to be among the highest pass rates in the
1: league. 100%, 100%. They absolutely want to be a Jalen Hurts-led team if he can do that. Now, it's built right now. They're, I think they're really happy about their situation right now because I think they, they know that they're situated to, A, answer the question this year. They've given them the pieces around him. Now, look, the offensive line, I went through camp there. They're still figuring some things out on, on the offensive line. That's still a little bit dicey. But that said, um, skill position-wise, uh, backfield wide receivers, tight ends. I mean, they feel like, okay, we've got a set of players here to figure out whether or not this can be a Jalen hurts volume offense. Um, Nick Sirianni talked to Nick Sirianni about it. I said, look, what do you need to see this year? And from Jalen hurts. And, you know, he kind of talked in sort of two different, there's, there's the, the metrics of measuring how much he has improved. And that's a lot of different data points. It's, you know, I mean, literally grading every single time he throws the ball, from where's the ball location? Is it a completion? Should it have? I mean, they have. They will break down everything from that standpoint. And another half is just the leadership standpoint, the intangibles. Um, how is he leading the team? How are guys responding to him? Are players raising their level because of something he's doing or pulling out of them? They're looking at him this year to figure out if he's a franchise quarterback. That does not lead me to believe in any way, shape, or form they are going to go into this looking to be a 25 pass or less kind of team. Now, I will say this. If they are a 25 um, you know, uh, pass attempt team for Jalen Hurts, he's going to be running the ball then. There's going to be other things that are designed in there for him to have an impact um, on that offense. Now, they don't want to do that consistently. I don't think they want to design out. They want it to be like a Lamar Jackson offense where they're going to um, put him in harm's way. Uh, like that, but they, they do want a volume, a, a large volume of the offense to go through Jalen Hurts. I would be, if you believe he can do it, I would be a buyer on him. Um, yeah. But you're going to find out pretty quickly. Like if this goes poorly, if it hits a wall, um, you know, six, eight games into the season, I don't think they're going, to I think it would be similar to last year where they're like, okay, well, we, now we know what it is. We had credit just- to them, right? Like,
0: So many teams struggle to reinvent themselves during the season, and they were able to do it last year. I did pull up in their first four games last season. They faced the Falcons, the 49ers, the Cowboys, and the Chiefs. So, you know, those last three teams, pretty damn good defensively. This year, they get the Lions. They get the Vikings, they get the Commanders, and they get Jacksonville. So that's like a much easier slate to try to be this new identity. Theoretically.
1: Theoretically. Theoretically.
0: <laughs> and low-key low always, like, they have set themselves up to be players in the market yes. in
1: 2023. Hey, they've and got – the less team doing that now in Miami, too. In like, Miami. They don't have to deal with Miami having that other first-round pick, which obviously they lost in the, the Stephen Ross tampering investigation – uh, that's one less team you have to jockey with, if you want to move to get a quarterback. But I mean, I'm I'm just telling you right now, they they are, I think they're the quintessential team where the options they will have if Hertz does not work out, they could go the young route or they could say, hey, is there a, we don't ever expect you know that a veteran's going to be available. I'm sure Denver going into the 2021 season wasn't sitting there going, well, we'll go after Russell Wilson after the season's over. They didn't know for sure if a player that caliber would come free. Um, so, you know, I think they were actually, I think Denver was probably thinking Aaron Rodgers was going to be the guy who came mm-hmm. free and that ends up being Russell Wilson. So Philly is going to be an attractive destination, I think, for a quarterback. Um, if for some reason the Jalen hurts, you know, situation doesn't work out. So they could go the veteran route and see if there is a veteran who's available. Or they could go the obviously the young route and what should be a good quarterback draft.
0: Okay. You just brought up the Denver Broncos. Let's uh, go over in that directions in fantasy football world, portions of the offseason, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy were very, very close in drafts. Mm-hmm. Now there's a pretty significant gap between the two. Do you think, boots on the ground, that we have that right? That it is Cortland Sutton far and away as Russell Wilson's premier target. Because even watching him throughout his young career,
1: I still struggle with knowing who Jerry Judy is as yes. a player. Yes. Well, Tim, I will say this. Okay. Two things that people should um, digest here. Number one, losing Patrick to the knee injury Huge. is going to significantly up the ante on Jerry Judy having to take a, a larger portion of his offense. Now, here's a really interesting thing. When I went through camp, Russell Wilson had brought Judy into these quarterback meetings. Sorry, I'm just checking my phone here. <laughs> as soon as I, if, if I, I knew that this was going to happen. If, if I see four like texts pop up at once. Well, I'm, like, while you check it, Charles, let no, me tell, tell
0: the people, right. let me tell them that you need to subscribe to you pod to win the game because truly <laughs> no one else, no one else delivers information like you that is unfiltered. That is not just a direct copy and paste from player agents or team sources that you have and you know that i appreciate that from you i so appreciate it i'm, that. Thank I'm, you, I'm glad that
1: you're here on the show but continue with tim patrick and jerry judy sean watson has not reached a salmon yet so I'm just making sure. um okay so so obviously you have the patrick injury which really increases the load on on the expectation of judy when i went through camp it was like the day after russell wilson had talked to judy about coming into the quarterback meetings which was you know hey sit through this with me let's let's talk through kind of you can kind of see it from our vantage point and I was talking to somebody in the organization about that, and I can't relate the specific story. It'll get me killed here. I don't want to burn a source, but I will say this. No one watches this. Russell Russell knows that Jerry Judy um, having a, a big season is really necessary. Like He knows that, and he believes that Judy, like the talent that people have seen in Judy, take away the drops and the inconsistency, all that. We get that. He sees the talent though that everybody else does, and and he has clearly said to Judy, and I'm not going to repeat what he exactly said to Judy, but he relayed to Jerry Judy, listen man, you can be great, you can be a great player. I see that in you. Let's figure out how to make this happen between the two of us. So I would say between, I'm not saying that he's he's not, I, I, maybe he just doesn't have to worry about Cortland Sutton. You know, you know, maybe that's just like that's the known entity. You're good there. You, there's nothing to tinker with. It's already, you know, it's your, you've arrived, it's baked into the cake. Judy's more of a, of a in progress type of player, but clearly Russell Wilson sees it. And yeah. I think that's a good thing. Interesting. Every single year, there
0: are a couple wide receiver twos that actually outperform the top wide receiver on their team, like last year's Cooper Cup over Robert Woods. Right. Um, Debo Samuel even over Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk. was being drafted over Debo at this time last year, so maybe Jerry oh, Judy man. over Cortland Sutton. But like, I, I actually like that last point that you made, where maybe Russ understands he's got like buff up a little bit, yeah. of Jerry Judy, because Cortland Sutton is the is the finished product.
1: I, I would I would just say yeah. I mean, like I think if if you're sitting there and you're playing the long game and you're or or you know you're sitting there and Judy's sliding in your draft or whatever what I want to hear is the quarterback is taking the time, you know, he's investing, right. That's what you want to hear. Russell Wilson's investing in him, and that's what's happening. Russell Wilson is absolutely investing in this guy trying to get him, you know, where, where he needs to be. And when, for what I was told, that wasn't like coaching staff driven, it wasn't the coaches prodding Russell. Hey, we really need, no, it was Russell who did it. And they watched it happen. And that's kind of how it was related to me was just this, Hey, we saw what we see what Russ is doing and like they're geeked about it, but they also want to see the results. One more question on this. Cause I, I expected like you, Tim Patrick to play a
0: massive role in this yes. Yeah. He would. I actually was talking to Robert Mays about this, that maybe the big slot was destined for Tim Patrick. Cause as you know, that's becoming more and more popular throughout the yep. league. And especially with the play caller in his history and the Packers and how they viewed that with Devontae Adams and Allen Zard and so on and so forth. Anyways. Um, at least to me, they don't have like an archetype that fits Tim Patrick replacement. Could it be more multiple tight end sets? Have you taken anything from that camp while you were there of how they plan to replace Tim Patrick, other than just more targets of Sutton and and Judy? Patrick
1: happened like the day after I left. (laughs) So I didn't, I wasn't able to go over the, you know, how are you going to tweak the, tweak the offense to help this? But I, you know, I will say this Hackett, you know, um, it wasn't all Aaron Rodgers in terms of when you look at how the, the, the Packers offense functioned and it was like, Oh man, Aaron Rodgers is raising the play of all these guys. No, I mean, some of that was by design. I mean, granted they didn't have, they they were working with what they had to work with, but um, Hackett is not a, um, despite the fact that, you know, obviously Devonte Adams was just an absolute dominant number one. He doesn't come in and go, okay, well we have to turn Cortland Sutton into um Devontae Adams. No, I mean he's he's totally fine with getting that offense however he needs to get that offense. So um if there's a talented tight end, if there's, you know, someone who has you know some particular heat coming out of the preseason, he's gonna play into that. He's very open-minded in terms of you know how he wants to structure the offense. Plus he's leaning on Russ to tell him what, you know, what are you seeing here? What do you want to do? And let's let's dovetail to that.
0: Okay. Let's go to the Los Angeles Rams now, defending Super Bowl champions. You know, I've got to ask What's the mm-hmm. level of P scale down their leg on the Matthew Stafford elbow oh, injury?
1: Bro, Bro, um, I mean, when I went through, they were downplaying it, you know, which was just like, hey, you know, yeah, <laughs> he had an off season of rest with the elbow. It's going to be okay. Um, He is on a pitch count through the preseason. Once the season starts, you know, that effectively ends. I, I will tell you after the Rams visit, when other teams heard that I was in Rams camp, they asked me what the hell is going on with Matt's elbow. Mm -hmm. And no one across the league sees that as a normal. Um, okay. Nothing burger. Okay. Everybody sees it as he's a player who throws with torque. Okay. Like the way that he uses his arm, um, you know, there's some guys, I mean, look, I'm not into the body mechanics things, but, you know, people who break down throwing motions are like, hey, this guy's very shoulder dependent. Um, this guy gets a lot of power from his core. We can tell this guy because of the, you know, where, what his arm slot looks like or angles that there is a lot of torque on his elbow. What I've been told is that Matthew Stafford is like a torquey elbow kind of thrower and that like the, the odds of going an entire season, by the way, with him not getting hit there, and the number two, with the passing volume being what it needs to be to, you know, not overstress it, it's just not a great thing to be dealing with. So I, I love Stafford, the player, and had that this offseason not gone the way it did, I'd be like draft him high because he's yep. going to get a ton. But they're, you know, they're going to say what they need to say to downplay it, but I, no one sees that as being well, a minor deal.
0: If it was an issue last year and... I'm sure he barely threw in his off time throughout all the way until July and then still taking practice, didn't throw at all. Josh, it sounded like zero. Like when I went through, it sounded like. It was almost how's how's it going to get better without rest, you know, and without that much rest, rest. that much rest again. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is I was like, well, wait, wasn't this just rest? I mean, months and and months of rest and everyone's different. And I'm not comparing Matthew Stafford to Jake DeLome. And I know these injuries are different, but I just remember when Jake had to get like Tommy John surgery. And then he was Mm -hmm. even never the same quarterback that even Jake DeLome level was, you know. So I just don't know how (laughs) bad tendinitis improves once you start throwing again.
1: He and Verlander are boys, so maybe he can hit up Verlander and be like, "Hey, if I get, can I can I come back and be, a, be an MVP if I get Tommy John the way you came back for Tommy John, your best pitcher in baseball?" I I don't, yeah, I mean it's it is worrisome. And I think Robinson's just, cursed, by the way. Like finally going to this guy which, and then and that's the that's the crazy thing. Like that is one thing I'll tell you. When I went through camp, it it, it hit me weird at first because I hadn't seen them out on the field and they weren't in pads and it was all this different stuff. But when I get there. Um, I was meeting with McVay um one morning. We're like just kind of sitting in his hotel room compassing. And he's like, you know, he's like, uh we we felt like we were really lucky to get Robinson um at all, and especially at like kind of the way we got him financially, like, you know, the commitment that we had to make and you know, which we're fine with and everything. But they were like, now that we got him in here, we're like, oh my God, like they couldn't believe, and I'm like what? I'm like, what? Really? Like, he's like, you're that excited about this guy. Like he's this good. Like he's, he's, and then, you know, going out watching. And then I, I actually had, um, Jordan Rodrigue on my, my podcast afterwards. Like, yeah. And she was like, man, they're, she's like, they're really hyped up about on Allen. And so I don't know if just like really Allen's the offenses and the quarterbacks have been that bad that I, they're just really excited about him. Like yeah. I even said. Not to to McVeigh, and I don't want to name who this was, but I was like, is this an upgrade over Woods And, and to someone else in the org? And they were like, maybe like it might be an upgrade. I'm like, wow, that's a big upgrade.
0: Let me ask about the running back situation real quick, because in his history, it has always felt like Sean McVay has preferred one runner, like going back to the early parts of his time with the Rams. They obviously had Todd Gurley. They also drafted the OK Makers in round two, but report after report from people like Jordan Rodriguez this offseason has suggested that should be much closer if not even split between True. cam makers yeah. and, and daryl henderson yeah. is that like a real change of heart and a real change of style that sean mcveigh has gone through?
1: yeah 100 and and i think it also had to do with sean um one thing that people haven't appreciated was sean has really tried to reinvent himself not only as a play caller but also like just as a coach you know just as like in in terms of like how he works with his assistants how he wants to run the scheme, and and a lot of the sort of, oh, he's trying to upgrade his offense, a lot of that, or, or change how his offense works or whatever, was focused through, well, he started to change some things. Jared Goff couldn't keep up, and that's why Goff went out and Stafford came in. It wasn't just an upgrade thing, which it was an upgrade, and they said it was an upgrade, but it was also like, I need players who can keep up with me wanting to change and alter and move forward. I think the running back position is probably an underrated part of that storyline, that he's not sitting there going, Hey, it has to be a primary. And it, and also I don't think it's born out of what happened with Todd Gurley because, you know, I mean, some people could look back and go, well, he learned a lesson, you know, they just pounded the living crap out of Todd Gurley. They used him And then, and then when he was done, you know, they were kind of up a Creek. No, you know, I think part of it was him looking outward and realizing they're not a ton of one back dominant offenses out there anymore. You have to be more multiple in the backfield than you are. And And they have two guys with the talent to be able to do that. And I think they're just they're also, I think, from a salary standpoint, sitting there and going, we need to get talent on field, (laughs) especially when it's not making a lot of money. We need to get that talent on the field. And and we would rather wear the tread off of two guys than one.
0: Okay, let's go to the Minnesota Vikings. So we read a bunch of camp reports this time of year because we can't be there like you, Charles, Uh, and all these teams switching play callers, new head coaches, all that stuff. You often read words like, I don't know, stumbling blocks or, quote, unquote, it's a process. Uh, but for the Vikings, it all seems like really good vibes. Like, it seems like everything's kind of gelling quite a bit. Does that, again, jive
1: with the time that you spent there? We'll see. I mean, I I, I look, I <laughs> i am be completely honest with you. I don't know. Um, my focal point when I went in there was sort of, OK, um, this is not a reboot. Okay. It's, they've got the talent to, as long as the, you know, the coaching is there and there's not a lot of injuries, they should have the talent to compete in the NFC North. Um, it was very Kirk Cousins focused. And this was after the kind of weird firestorm of like, you know, what a you know crazy Adolfo Mensa say about Kirk Cousins and the ran, like basically a bunch of comments that I read now was like, yeah, those all sound accurate. <laughs> like there's nothing here that to me sounds like it's out of joint. It seems like, this pretty much tracks so of what we all think is going on. Um, you know, I look, I will say this from an offensive standpoint, they pick the right, if you wanted to compete right away, this is, I like Kevin. Okay. Like I think um, it, you pick the right head coach. And by the way um, he was doing a lot with the Rams before he left. You know, I think people are sitting there going, well um, he, you know, he wasn't a play caller or this or that or whatever, like, bro, he was, that's who this guy was like if he had stayed with the Rams okay he's full-blown OC play caller design I mean like everything like he is I don't think there's a single offensive coach that Sean McVay was leaning on more than him his you know this last season with the Rams and to me that means a lot like a it's a trust situation okay it's um a bandwidth situation because I think one of the things that you will see McVay gets frustrated with is when he deals with you know um people he wants to delegate to and they don't have the kind of bandwidth he does, which is considerable. Um, It, it tends to be, you know, some friction relationship. It was the opposite with him and O'Connell. I think there was more than enough bandwidth there. And, and Sean was probably in some ways disappointed um, to lose him because I think he felt like I'm going to be able to turn over a ton of stuff to this guy and start to develop other areas I want to develop. And by the way, I hate – I'm – screw it. I'll just say it. I really truly believe that if McVay had retired, right, or whatever, if he had stepped away the way that he says he contemplated doing it, um, A, it wasn't going to happen. But B, if it happened, I'm telling you I think his his choice, he would have said this is the head coach of the Rams when I leave. Like Kevin should be the guy who takes over for me. That means a lot to me. A lot. That. That McVeigh has that kind of um wow. confidence in him. So I don't know. And I hate to I hate to put it out like that because I don't want to put that kind of pressure on Kevin O'Connell, but but I will just tell you, uh it's that's and it must
0: feel so different with going from Mike Zimmer to this. Oh, like, my it God. must feel oh so different. Oh my God. It's just
1: such a weird. It is just a I don't even know how to really describe it. I mean, like, and I don't want to dump on Zimmer either, okay? Because I mean, like he's, successful. Very, incredibly successful, very successful coach, just a different mentality kind of guy. There was a lot going on there at the end between he and Rick Spielman, the GM, even honestly, even Rick Spielman, not being there was kind of weird because, you know, when Zimmer went with the thought process was like, Spielman's going to survive this. And then that didn't happen. Um, But yeah, I mean, the vibe, the vibe there is a lot different in terms of the light, I guess, for lack of a better term, the lightness, the light, how you feel in the building, like you definitely can tell it's a lot lighter. Okay, let's go to New York Jets. This is probably the last full
0: team I'll ask you about. Uh, You just shook your head a little bit. Um, In fact, I don't even want to ask you about the Zach Wilson injury because it's almost like I'm not gonna say best case scenario for what it was, but it looked awful out there. I do want to ask you about Zach Wilson, though, because there's been so much investment in this team's offense. I thought last year during portions of the season with or without Zach Wilson, Mike LaFleur really proved himself as a play caller with a lot of his creativity, but what was the sentiment of the progression of where Zach Wilson was again, prior to now him missing the next two to four weeks. Were they happy with him in the building? Because he has some obviously strengths and weaknesses of his game, but the weaknesses just of playing inside the structure and the confines of a closing pocket, uh, that can crush quarterback.
1: Yeah. Well, it was okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll tackle this from a couple of different standpoints we'll start from one that was a little, little, probably off angle. Remember everything that came out, the whole, all the stuff about, you know, his ex-girlfriend and the things that hit the media and that, and the, which was a weird kind of funny, everybody embraced it. Story jumped on it. You had other NFL players talking about it. Your teammates about Had it. fun with it. Oh yeah. The locker room, all this stuff. Well, um, they kind of liked the way that he came out of that because, you know, when you're in New York and something like that happens, you just never know how, especially a quarterback, a young guy's going to deal with that. Like, you know, you don't know what the reaction is going to be. You know how he's going to absorb it. You don't know if he's going to make it worse. And instead of making it worse, he kind of was like, eh, he was like light-heart, lighthearted about it. Hey, I had my phone, whatever it was on his Instagram or whatever social media posts. I remember he was like, had my phone off, just turn it on. Anything happen or whatever it was, which, they were kind of like, oh, you know, he sort of handled this the way we would hope he would, which is just to kind of slide off it, move on, half a laugh, and 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 so in a weird fishbowl moment, I think they were happy because it was this first time where he kind of got the New York thrown at him, and and he and he came out of it like just it didn't even phase him, it was no big deal. Okay, so there's that. That means nothing football wise, but it means something about kind of his mental fortitude to be able to handle it's something Uh, quarterbacks have to deal with versus what other positions do not listen there were other guys okay who have played uh, like Gino um, Mark Sanchez I mean there are other guys where certain moments happen in their careers and and you can kind of feel that it sinks in and it's like hey this is remember the punch in practice with Gino it was over you know from the I felt like it was never nothing was ever gonna any any Chance he had of of succeeding and being there was gone in that moment. You know, Mark Sanchez. I mean, you could everybody's gonna always talk about the butt fumble, but there, you know, there were a number of different moments where it kind of went off the rails. There, this was just one of those first moments where they're like, Ugh, "How like was this gonna? You know, this is gonna become a thing, or is this?" And it didn't. So I think they were happy about that. But when you talk about the play side of it, um, I think they were cautiously optimistic that he was taking a step forward. Now, here's the problem: when I was in practice it was crazy because the year before I was there when Beckton hurt himself in practice, I get out to practice and literally I'm standing there. Rich Samini, you know, covers the, the jets is, is like, you know, we're down, we're watching them watching Beckton. And I'm like, Hey man, I was like, I look at Rich. I'm like, I think the right tackle's messed up. Something's not right. Like he's not, oh, No, he's dropping his helmet. Like he's down on a knee. Like he can't like move, like something's going on there is this, this is messed up course that's it he didn't make it through practice he's he comes off and and that's it that's a season subsequently when you watched the the you know 11 on 11 I mean Wilson had zero time he they were engulfed the offensive line was destroyed and I I was just like afterward Robert Salab was like you know um Hey, it got back, be- you know, yeah, it was, it was really hard for Zach. Didn't really have time much, you know, at the start, you know, and then he kind of was like, well, it kind of got better. I was like, eh, didn't feel like it really, like he just really never felt like he had a ton of time out there. To me, I was like, if this is representative of what this line is going to look like. And again, you got a long preseason to sort it out. And added Dwayne Brown and who knows. Right. Okay. Right. So you add Dwayne Brown, you kick Fant to the right side. Maybe this solidifies if you can solidify the tackle spots, maybe that that kind of settles the line down. You know, but then the meniscus thing, this happens and especially just, for someone who loves to play outside the structure of the pocket too. Like dude, dude. and so he's, he's young from a knee injury immediately, like, like that's that can be rough. Bro. and he's young, right? Yeah. I mean, like it's I hate that we're already doing a meniscus on a young guy like this, who, as you said, if it was Flacco and he's just gonna be, you know, hey, I only got to move four yards, you know, and then, and then I can kind of, that's, this is my little, no, that's not his game at all. Yeah. Um No, I mean, that's really worrisome. And, and I just don't know how that doesn't, even if he, you know, when and if he comes back at some point and I hope they take as much time as possible with him to make sure he's good. I don't know how it doesn't infect the rest of the season for him. So the line worries me. And then obviously now this injury worries me, which is too bad because when you look at the surrounding pieces and that was one of the things I took away, When you look at the surrounding pieces, and I think Wilson, you know, Wilson's going to be someone who runs with the ones eventually all these things, you know, full-time. It looks good. The surrounding pieces, they've done a good job with some of the surrounding pieces and it felt like a lot of the team is turning around and just now getting started after uncertainty with Woody Johnson, uncertainty with how they were going to spend money offloading some contracts. Joe Douglas like killed some deal. I mean, The Jamal Adams deal, what an unbelievably great deal! The the Sam Darnold deal, what an unbelievable! I mean, he Douglas has pulled off some really great moments in that. that Navigated the draft really well, (laughs) all Wonderful draft this year, and that's why when I walked in, I was like, to me, I'm like, okay, this is year one. Like they've finally kind of turned the battleship, which is a considerable feat, and now we're starting to go in the right direction. Right tackle goes out quarterback gets engulfed and then you know that next thing you know the quarterback's got a meniscus i'm like this it feels snake bitten this franchise sometimes i i yeah i'm i would not be buyers of much with with i mean i I will tell you this flacco is the slowest dude on earth like he is i mean if they can't protect him yeah no shot in on earth i mean he because he is not moving he is just not a moving movable guy Okay. I got to ask you about Tom Brady before we get out of here. Mm-hmm. Should we care about this vacation he's on right now? Who do you, okay. I, I, I want to be able to believe the Buccaneers here, right? I do. I want to believe because the, the story that is being told inside the franchises, look, totally a hundred percent planned. Um, you know, the, the guy's never really been home when his kids go off to school. Um, If you read Seth Wickersham's book, It's Better to Be Feared, it is clear in that book that his marriage with Giselle was on the rocks at one point over how invested he was in football, the fact that this guy didn't seem to understand what his life would look like without it, just the the entire mental, like how much he focused himself through football. She wrote him like a letter about it. He kept it and was like it completely changed like how he looked at the time he spent with his family and with his wife. So from that standpoint, I believe the story that the Buccaneers are telling like, Hey, when he came back, there's this balance that he's working out. The Buccaneers are looking at it like every year is a one year window with Tom anyway. So as far as we're concerned, this is the last hurrah anyway. And if he wants to come back next year, we'll treat that like the last hurrah. Like it doesn't really matter. So yeah, we, we, we are absolutely fine structuring him being able to take some time away at a time when like his kids are getting ready to go off to school and all this stuff spend time with the family refresh himself pop back in it won't hurt him at all in terms of absorption so from that ans- aspect i i believe it the flip side of it the retirement was a lie okay like that's all everything that was out there about this whole retirement in the miami stuff to me all blatant lies now now not blatant because it was very careful about how he talked about it but this all clearly happened he pretended it didn't or tried to play off like it really had wasn't going on with Miami. As in trying to shoehorn a move to the Dolphins. Trying to shoehorn a move to the Dolphins, which I think part of the reason why Sean Payton and, and Tom Brady weren't retired Tired around the same time. Well, retired around the same time, like all these different things. But, you know, remember when the fallout came, neither of them faced any kind of retribution from the NFL, right? I think that's because their agent, Don Yee jumped on the grenade and was like, I'm the one who, whatever was going on, I'm yeah. the one who was out there. <laughs> you know, I shouldn't have been, cause what the league can't been Don Yee. Like there's nothing, he's fine. Um, you know, but so I don't like the fact that there was a lack of truthfulness about sort of that ending and what was going on behind the scenes. And it will always make me question the legitimacy of when we're presented with this story of, and, and Oh, by the way, It never once was suggested until it happened. I didn't like that. I didn't like that like we heard like, hey, Tom might, you know, we might give him some veteran days or we might give him a little bit of vet break. You know, Um, he gets he gets a we'll call it a goat week. We give him the goat week and he gets to take a week off or whatever. We want to look at some of the younger guys, you know, at the position, whatever. Never heard that. Just one day, all of a sudden, it's just like, hey, Tom's, Tom's taking off for a little bit here. And I don't want to connect to anything,
0: but like Ryan Jensen going down with a pretty significant injury, like the center quarterback relationship, especially when he resigns signs the team as soon as Tom Brady returns, yep. like, might be significant.
1: I, I mean, look at the entire interior. Go back to when they win the Super Bowl, right? Look at the entire interior of his offensive line. It's It's a
0: perfect situation for him to succeed, like in terms of offensive line that he's with. And at least now they brought in Shaq Mason, which he has some history with, but you know, the center quarterback relationship is massive.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you, like I said, I mean, look, look at guard center guard. Okay. Back when you win the Super Bowl to now. Okay. I mean, you've had the interior lines gutted pretty important part of Tom Brady's protection, by the way, like interior pressure in the NFL, um, even for a guy like Brady, Massive problem. So, yeah, I mean, it's a little... I I would say it's a little white-knuckling, okay? But the... I will also say this. Behind the scenes, the Buccaneers are playing it off like it is... They don't seem to be lying about it. They seem to be, like, completely, hey, it's not a big deal at all. It's all good. We're good. Like, it's this was planned. No big deal. And I don't sense that they're lying, but... I don't know, man. It's just so hard after the retirement shenanigans last year to, to completely bind everything.
0: Okay. We'll get you out of here with this one. And hopefully this question just doesn't fall flat. Uh, what's something that I haven't asked you that you want to tell me? Like, what is something while on the road for the last month, either player wise, something you picked up that you're like, Oh man, did not expect this.
1: Hmm. Well, we haven't talked about the Panthers. I can, you want to, no. I mean, let's, you I mean, talk- what a, Shit, organization to uh, on. I don't know, man. You know, I, 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 I'll tell you what. Let me say this about the Panthers. Baker's going to be the starting quarterback. Okay, we know that he's going to be a starting quarterback. Okay. Um, I think that depending on you know, Icky's going to be your starting left tackle. You'll shuffle the line from there. Um, depending on how that line holds up, he has some good surrounding pieces. The back end of the defense, the secondary, I think yeah. they feel really good picking up Woods. Um, they like they, they had a lot yeah, of BC problems. Horn back, they re-signed Dante Jackson. Horn. C.J. Henderson had a Hed- great camp. By the, by the way, Henderson is really in a good – he is in a really good place. Like like it's I would argue – important for him. Very important for him, okay? And I, I think he's in a very good place personally and with football. Um, you might get the best you've seen out of him since he's come into the NFL this year. I think the secondary is going to be really, really good. and. Um, like i said it all i personally think if baker mayfield is the 2020 version of baker mayfield this is going to be a better team than than everybody thinks now the line you know i the one thing that i did not understand last year when i looked at their line was that they had like three nfl players on yep. line. and i didn't realize that at the time i was like oh, the, now there are actually five nfl players on that line and there's a little bit of depth and there's more to work with there so We banged on the Panthers. Oh, and by the way, here's another thing, too. Um, The Joe Brady thing. Oh, yeah. Now with the Bills, obviously, as the quarterback's coach, replacing Dorsey, who obviously moved up to O.C. So I think what happened there was, and this isn't to bang on Brady at all, but I do think the youth did factor in that, you know, you don't fully realize on an NFL level what an O.C. has on their plate. How many do they have to? You have to make sure you're dealing with all the other position coaches. You have everything coordinated. You have to run meetings. So a lot of different things that are going on. I think he was overwhelmed. And I think what happened was Matt rule ended up micromanaging a lot of other situations on the offense, like a ton. And it was really, really not good. And so I think when McAdoo, the switch came with McAdoo, from what I understand inside the organization, it's been fantastic because McAdoo is he's a really good coordinator. He's not a good head coach, but he's a really good offensive coordinator. He can handle everything. There's, it's like now there's a real divide between the head coach and the OC because the OC can handle everything and and rules not dabbling or having to deal with twenty-eight other, you know, things. And so I, I hear even coaching wise, they feel a lot better about where things have been going on. And I, I did ask, I was kind of like, well, what about what McAdoo said about Mayfield during that draft? And he had Mayfield ranked way fifth. low, yeah, like fifth out of the five, the five perceived first round quarterbacks. And what I was told was a time has passed since then. And McAdoo has seen him as an NFL player and also seen him when he played at his best, which was in 2020. It's impossible to rank him after Josh Rosen. Now let's, let's put it that way (laughs) at at the very least, right at the very, right at the very least. Secondly, McAdoo got to see Sam Darnold be an A to B player who can't go to the second read and the third read. And that's never changed. And that's been the problem. And that's why Sam Darnold's not going to be the starting quarterback because it's the same problems he had with the jets not a good second or third read quarterback, unfortunately He's going to have a long career as a backup, I think in the NFL and still make plenty of money. I'm not going to cry for Sam Darnold. Um, but I think that also when McAdoo started to work with Mayfield, he was really, really happy with, he was like, man, this dude's, there's a lot here. And one of the things that got brought up to me was that Mayfield, one of the things that McAdoo likes best about Mayfield is that he is really good. He's clearly a big time visual guy in terms of like when they're watching say the all 22, or they're breaking down a cover two defense. If you're doing it on the board, that's one thing. But if you're doing it watching film, he has brought up some alterations to the offense or certain tweaks that McAdoo's like, Hmm, I didn't even think about that. And this guy, and he, and so what McAdoo's seeing is a guy that's processing the things in front of him a lot better than, than maybe the guy before did. And huh. They're pretty – I'm just telling you, I think that they're very – Maybe they can win eight
0: games. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) No, to to that point, that's an interesting note because J2 O'Sullivan, who does great work in the quarterback school on YouTube, pointed out this play, and it was just preseason. It was basically a deep post with two over routes underneath it, and you basically need to have a backside vertical to keep the two high safeties or else (laughs) – the the double over route is going to take this safety right in the path of the deep post and right. ultimately right.
1: Yeah. So
0: Robbie Anderson basically got sandwiched right at the <laughs> catch point. And so if maybe Baker or someone brings that up now, then McAdoo can redraw the play in a different way and they run it differently the next time. Because it was open if you had a yeah. backside.
1: I I think that what they want to see is a guy who once he gets to the line, he's looking out and he's processing what happens, but then once the ball snapped he's, he's able to, okay, Hey, this is clearly not working here. Right. I mean, and so, so ridiculous to have to put it, you know, but I mean, that is true. I mean, it is what they want. They want somebody who basically can function when it's not going well. Plus he also has, and again, this is not to bang on Sam. Baker is a very, if he is healthy and and he's in a groove, he still has that chip on his shoulder and even the Browns will tell you when he, and that guy's got the chip on his shoulder and he's got it rolling he's a he's a lot of fun to to play with for teammates and he's someone I look even the meltdown with obj, I thought it was interesting that on social media, which these guys care about, he gave Baker the kind of shout out about go ball it out, you know like go ball out in Carolina and stuff and that to me that means something because those are two guys that it, that was a really horrific ending between them in Cleveland. so he just OBJ. has to be protected like that that's the thing with Baker with me that like if
0: if he feels pressure, he doesn't necessarily have the athletic gifts that yes. a bunch of these other guys have. I
1: I agree, and and you know the line. I think they need the line just to be at the very least it has to be serviceable, right? Because clearly it wasn't even that last year. And I'm sorry, I apologize for ending. On- no, you're good. You're good. That was great. That, that was
0: more than I would have asked for. Um, Charles, you're amazing. You know how much I care about you. I love you. You have always been so kind to me. I love coming on your show. You pod to win the game. I again, not just the Watson stuff. I can tell people with the Baker stuff. Like no one has their ear to the ground more. And when he speaks, I pay attention to them than Charles Robinson with basically every big thing that goes on throughout the league. Is there anything else you want to pitch or is that a pretty good one? You can just record it no, and okay. play it out for the people. Uh, oh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I mean,
1: and right. by the way, the the Panthers, that was the last one I went through. So I, you're like, well, what can you tell them? So like, oh, this is the only thing I can remember now. There you go. I'll <laughs> just give me you the most recent
0: one. All right. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. Charles, appreciate you. We will, I think, have a live draft tomorrow on the channel. So go and check that out. All right, everyone. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.